0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lee. Hello. And, yeah, how are you going? It's uh, we're, we're, we're zooming again and we'll be for a while, it looks like.
1: <laughs> yes, we will be for a while. Yeah, no, I'm going good. I'm on school holidays, so I'm happy. How about you?
0: I'm good, I'm good. I'm not working all that much at the moment due to cinemas not really being open. Yeah. <laughs> so, major bummer. But it's a, yeah, I'm, I just because I'm missing out on seeing a whole bunch of stuff. So, But with any luck, if everything stays the course, we'll be open up again in time to see all the good shit at the end of the year. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: Nice. Yeah.
0: Speaking of which, have you seen anything good lately? Oh, <sighs> no. Not, not Criterion.
1: <laughs> no. No, I've been pretty slack. What about you? Mm. What have you seen?
0: Um, I don't know how I managed to pull this off, but um, last night or the night before, I managed to convince Claire to watch The Thing.
1: <gasps> Ooh, I haven't seen The Thing.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of the greatest horror films ever made. Um, how did she watch that? It's one of the grossest and most violent movies ever made. <laughs> so, yeah, I can't believe I managed to get her to sit and watch it, so... Oh, that's fabulous. Yeah. Did she love and it? Was she scared? I was just like, at the end, I'm like, so what do you think? And she's just like, I don't know how to feel. Like, obviously, that's a very amazingly constructed story. But also, I fucking hate it because it's scary and violent.
1: <laughs> not yeah. So she can respect that it was a well-made, good film, but she hated it because it's just not her cup of tea.
0: No, no, very much <laughs> like the polar opposite of a cup of tea. I can't
1: believe she sat through it.
0: I know she was on her phone for quite a bit of it, and and also hiding under her jumper for bits <laughs> of it as well. So I
1: yeah. miss having films make me feel that way. I reckon the last one was Hereditary.
0: Yeah, I think that was it for me as well. Like it's mm. it's been a long, it's few and far between. Um, but we're kind of wrapping up the end of September here, and then we're heading into October where I'm just gonna binge horror movies all yes. month And It's gonna be great.
1: Speak bring it on.
0: Yep. Um, But uh, the film we watched this week... Oh, actually, before we get into that, we should um, go through uh, some listener feedback and stuff. Um, We've got a a submitted uh, tagline for Heaven Can Wait. Ooh! Yes? Our friend Keelan, one of our lovely patrons over on the Patreon account, uh, said his thoughts on Heaven Can Wait. He's a big fan of the era, but he did not love the film. (laughs) Uh, Had many of the same issues that we had that, you know, there was no real conflict, no real resolution. Yeah. Uh, The mournful voiceover was whiny, plus he really wasn't that much of a bad guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he said, plus Satan was far too nice as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I like um, Hitler can wait would be better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> and uh, his tagline submission was: "You think you're bad? You're probably worse than him."
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love which, it.
0: Which I, which I like. That was great.
1: We need more um, listener submissions for better taglines because mine suck. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so we we always put them up on the Instagram or the Patreon and things. So yeah, we'd love hearing if you guys have suggestions. Comment on them and things. So it's always great to hear from people. Mm. But uh, speaking of um, rueful, rem- like remorseful and unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm being super harsh. I actually quite like this film, but I could tell mm. you kind of didn't. Mm. Uh, we just literally just finished watching Preston Sturges' 1948 film, Unfaithfully Yours. Yes, we did. Yes. Mm. Preston um,
1: Sturges.
0: Yes. Yeah. Maybe uh, I was do about, the synopsis, was, and I'll, we'll talk a bit more about Sturgis. All right, sounds good. Uh, in this pitch-black comedy from legendary writer-director Preston Sturges, Rex Harrison stars as Sir Alfred Decarta, a fame, a world-famous symphony conductor, consumed with the suspicion that his wife is having an affair. During a concert, the jealous, De- uh, the jealous Decarta entertains elaborate visions of vengeance, set to three separate orchestral works when he attempts to put his murderous fantasies into action nothing works out quite as planned
1: that like tells you the whole the whole story
0: yep a brilliantly performed <laughs> mixture of razor sharp dialogue and uproarious slapstick Unfaithfully yours is a true classic from a grand master of screen comedy
1: now grand master of screen comedy what else would have he done that we might know.
0: Alrighty. Uh, so, this, I think, is the third Sturges film in the collection. Um, one of his la- last films, to be honest, that he made. He he basically... Sturges got his start as a writer, uh, working throughout the 30s and 40s. But uh, it wasn't until 1940 that he actually started directing his, his own work. Mm. Um, and previous ones that we've had in the collection that I absolutely adore... Uh, The Lady Eve and Sullivan's Travels. Uh, cool. Mm, Sullivan's Travels being like, yeah, just an absolute supreme, one of the best comedies of like studio comedies of all time, I think.
1: Not Galliver's Travels?
0: No, no. <laughs> Sullivan's Travels is about a Hollywood screenwriter who is trying to, he's having trouble writing his new film called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?
1: Oh, Wow.
0: Which is where the Colin like brothers that. got it's where they got <laughs> their name for that movie from, as a nod to it. Um, and as a in an effort to understand the true plight of the working man and things, he goes out on the road pretending to be a hobo and like kind of gets swept up in an adventure and yeah. Fun. It's a great, great movie. Joel McCrae, yeah, fantastic. Um So, so this yeah, so,
1: is sort of a light hearted comedy romantic.
0: Yeah, classic. like comic but, but with, like, some... Like, I'd say Lady Eve is... It's a Barbara stanley Henry Fonda comedy, and that's very light and fun and just great. Um, Sullivan's Travels has a little bit of kind of um, commentary in there and a little bit of kind of drama and pathos towards the end. Um, but, yeah, it's really great. Um, and this... I think there are a couple of other ones coming in the collection, like Palm Beach Story. Um, yeah, a whole bunch. But Unfaithfully Yours, it looks like, was his uh, fourth-to-last film. So,
1: just between the two decades, 30s and 40s, nothing Uh, either side.
0: Yeah, his final film was 1955, and it was uh, The Diary of Major Thompson, and prior to that um, was 1949, The Beautiful Blonde from Bashful Bend. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So, it's it's studio comedies, like working for Universal and MGM and stuff.
1: Yeah. I'm guessing that kind of, there wasn't as many genres of film back at this point in time. They, all, they always probably were around the romantic comedies or... There would have been darker films as well, but...
0: Yeah. It, it very much reminds me, it's like the... Have you seen Hale... Speaking of the Coen brothers, have you seen *Hail Caesar? Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like around that time how it's like the studio. We've got the comedy lot and the the western lot and then the epics and the musical Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. And you have those workhorse directors and writers and kind of crew that would make all the pictures. Um, Sturgis was one of those guys where he would uh, he would cha- alternate sort of his lead actors, but uh, from the majority of the supporting roles, he had his like his crew of regulars that he would always bring in. Uh, in this case, sort of playing. Um, you know the the detective and stuff like that, so
1: yeah. yeah so they the
0: detective were regulars I believe so yeah again i'm I'm not that familiar with all of Sturge's work and like the deep nitty-gritty of it all yeah
1: yeah yeah. yeah yeah well, this movie features one of my favorite actors, Rex Harrison mm-hmm I love him and he didn't disappoint in this film he is so eloquent and where
0: where no, have sorry. I seen him before? Well, I was seen... going to say, where does, where does your love for him kind of stem from?
1: So I grew up on a lot of old, old cinema. My mum loves old cinema. And so I grew up on My Fair Lady, and uh, mm-hmm. Cleopatra and Dr. Doolittle. So he was someone that I sort of saw a lot of when I was a kid, a lot of his movies. Yep. And I always remember him just being delivering the most wonderful insults
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and being so articulate. And I, there was a shot at the beginning of this film where um, Alfred is uh, approached by Rudy, I believe, and it's where Rudy's saying, I've had a detective following your wife. And
0: oh, uh, R- Rudy Valley, the actor, but yeah, playing August,
1: oh, I think he August. was. August, sorry. Yeah. I wrote it down, but then... I'm terrible with names. Uh, right. August approaches Alfred and said, I've got all this evidence of your wife, you know, blah 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 and he doesn't listen to him and he he rips it up and puts it in the bin. But if you look at that scene, it's just one continuous shot and the amount of yeah. words that come out of Rex Harrison's mouth.
0: Yeah, it's well it's insane. It's it that entire scene is essentially Rex Harrison and Rudy Valley being having a competition of who can get through their dialogue the quickest. <laughs> Totally, it's fucking insane. It is like yeah, six, seven pages of dialogue just. Blah, 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 blah.
1: Yeah, I and love it.
0: It's captivating because it's it's setting up the whole. It, I mean, it, it sets up the premise of the film, and it also sets up the type of person that that he that Alfred is, mm. where he's. he's very confident. And very witty and very charming, but he's not cool or calm in any way. No. no Which he's is, he's an very... Oh, artist. Yeah. And he, he flies by the seat of his pants and that's reactive. what kind of eventually... Yeah, reactive is a great word for it. And that's kind of what leads us to the Troubles.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because the, the beginning of this film, like much of it, but the beginning of this film is quite slow. And there's little things and comments by... What was the sister's name? Was it Barbara?
0: Oh, yes. It's Barbara Barbara and Daphne.
1: Barbara and Daphne. Okay, so Barbara just has all these little off comments about, oh, what would you know about passion? And, oh, see, that's what true love looks like. And you're like, Jesus, she's a pretty scathing woman. But then, you know, later in the film, that, you know, little things that are... Set up at the beginning of this film that you sort of you know glaze over are actually mm. yeah, quite important later on.
0: I I don't know. I kind of started to pick like oh I guarantee that it's actually her having the affair. Yeah. Kind of right from the get go, <laughs> I was like oh. <laughs> really? Yeah. I yeah. didn't pick
1: it until it was revealed. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just I got the sense of like oh it's the wacky studio comedy like that's, yes that's going to be the twist and you know. It, the non-subtle studio stuff of just, like, well, she's blonde, so therefore she's trampy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like. I, um, I knew it would be, just from the title and from the year and the, the studio style of it all, I knew it would be all a happy accident or a misunderstanding. Yeah. I knew that, but, I, yeah, I didn't pick up on Barbara being the one having the hmm. affair.
0: But, yeah, it it starts off very interestingly. Like, the somewhere it starts off with a fast talking scene at an airport, and you're like, "What? What is going on? What are we yes.
1: doing?" Yes. <laughs> oh man,
0: yes. And it it sets up that really fun, playful kind of farcical, like, "Oh no, the the plane had to be landed somewhere near Nova Scotia," and like, "Hold <sighs> on, just a correction." Oh no, it's somewhere here, which is also near Nova Scotia, and just like, "All right, yes, that that wonderful kind." Of, it's stuff like you'd see in a stage play, like farce. Yeah where it's like that that witty playful banter that works in a triptych. like you know you have to set up and say the joke three times and then the subversion and yeah.
1: yes did you enjoy that
0: not at the beginning
1: <laughs> <laughs> good cuz i didn't either i was like get on with it
0: <laughs> once once it got into the setup of um august having accidentally hired well, not actually like you know hired the private inv- the detective to essentially tail Barbara, uh, D- sorry, Daphne, I was like, oh, this is, I see where this is going now and this is kind of fun and interesting. And then mm. I loved from there we get the scene of him seeing him actually conduct and you see how playful he is with, with his work. And that's yeah. so great that we got that contrast scene mm. compared to the actual performance on the night and how... Tormented, he is at that point as well.
1: I agree, and you can see he's having a really good time. He's got a big smile on his face. He talks to the symbol guy. I don't know what that yet. Yeah, symbol, and they yeah, get yeah. the biggest symbol out, and it's fun. And, and he's
0: like, I, he's like, be playful with it, man. Yeah. Like you know, go 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 hog wild. Yeah. Have have we're here to have fun. Let's have fun with it all. And yeah, which Do I he- wonder if if that's a kind of nice little setup for the because the movie gets dark as shit later. And I wonder if that is sort of Preston Sturges and Rex Harrison kind of laying some groundwork for the audience of, like, we're here to have fun. Like, just just go loud, go bombastic with it, but we're playing kind of thing.
1: And, um, yeah, don't be alarmed, audience. It's all in good fun. Yeah. Um. It did feel like whenever it went to that sort of dark phase, there was always the, you know, the other end of the swing of the pendulum where it would be oh lighthearted and so it was yeah. never getting too, um, yeah, too dark at any point. Um, yeah. I've got to mention though that there was this strange actor that was um, Alfred's. I don't know what he was manager maybe. Yeah, he and... his
0: manager. What was his character's name? God damn it. Um, yeah. uh, Hugo. Hugo's. Yeah, that's right. Because it's so dumb. Uh, his name is Hugo Standoff.
1: You know, stand off, and at first I thought he was Russian.
0: Yes. Then I
1: thought he was from
0: Jersey. Why wouldn't you? Because he's like television.
1: Then he, <laughs> then he sounded like he was from Jersey. Yeah. Um, and then I had no idea. Like that was bizarre.
0: My my take on that was that he is very like the actor himself is from uh, the Bronx, so he's a big New York actor. My uh, my. My take on it is because Alfred is a British compo- like conductor performing mm-hmm. here in America, the idea of making the symphony sound more European and more exotic, whenever there's anyone else in the scene that's an outsider, he's putting on that Russian accent to make it him seem more exotic and like kind of heightened the mystique around Alfred whereas when it's the two of them alone he's just like hey boss what do you want
1: (laughs) ah so you think it might have been on purpose just not terrible acting
0: had to be because like I said in that opening scene it's like you must see him on television
1: yeah 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 (laughs) 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 like
0: what what is going on and again it's that thing of I guess just a little bit of kind of wallpaper like adding adding flair and character and something kind of unique that pop, makes the scene kind of pop a little bit more without explicitly de- explaining it or delving into it i guess yeah it's a, an unnecessary detail that's kind of just this odd flourish
1: <laughs> yeah it's super off-putting though yeah. um because I, I was just trying to figure him out but yeah um yeah and i thought what did you think of the main actress the daphne actress did you think she did a good job
0: I, th- I did. I did think she did a good job. Um, yeah, well, again, why am I blanking? Uh, Linda Darnell is her name. Um, I liked her uh, quite a bit. I, she doesn't have much to work with, mm. but I, I think in in particular in the last 20 minutes of the film, she's got, when it goes into full Looney Tunes, Home Alone Fast territory, She she's playing it so kind of believable, of like frustrated yet still concerned... Mm. Um I, and it's hard not to like an actress when you know they give them those beautiful glossy close-ups and things with like the gossip like like it's shot through a curtain style yeah like. yeah yeah I
1: loved her head, head piece whatever we want to call that oh my god I love all that classic glamour of that era.
0: This, you, this you movie had a, lots of this. You love a lady wearing long white gloves with jewelry over the top.
1: Yes, jewels, <laughs> the makeup, the hair. I was in. Yep. I was in heaven.
0: <laughs> mm. Um.
1: But yeah, it's like.
0: To like for you, when did the film kind of really start to move? Because okay. or was it or was it a kind of flat line for most of it for you?
1: No, no, no. Now this is. I did not dislike this film there were elements that I found incredibly dull and not funny, but I would say the slow camera pull into his eyes as he's doing the symphony up. And I was like, this, this is probably why this is in the collection.
0: Yeah. Like the actual conceit of, yeah.
1: I'm starting to notice with a lot of the films that we're doing that maybe sometimes as a whole, they're like, yeah, that was a film, but there might be like, elements in there that are just like genius or fabulous and i think this film definitely has that and it and it's this scene where he's conducting the orchestra and that incredible slow pull it and we get it twice we get it twice three times Uh, three times is it the three i didn't notice it yeah we get it
0: for all three yeah
1: um and i did see the slightest shadow cross his face as it got closer and i'm imagining what must have happened was this is what i'm thinking happened but because the orchestra is in the foreground, but as the camera moves, we like we go past them. I'm imagining maybe they ducked out of the kind of way or slide, something.
0: Or slide them out of the way or, or something. Or slide them yeah. out of the
1: way, maybe. I don't know how they did it, but I was like, because we got it repeated so many times, each time I'd sort of look... Because, you know, back then, they don't have the technology they do now, so it's it's interesting to see how they did it.
0: Um, Interestingly, how Rex Harrison was able to stay so perfectly still and have his eye not kind of react or move or change at all because like you don't even notice like the iris going out or like any change in it it's it's a pretty amazing little thing um the reason they were able to kind of get away with that is because rex harrison is actually blind in that eye
1: ah
0: yeah from i believe it was measles when he was a kid like as a side effect like yeah he, he was blind in that eye that makes sense yeah, child, because of a result of childhood measles. Fuck. Yeah, but it's like now's probably a good time to discuss the cinematography in that regard. Like it's, it, I think the the first twenty minutes is a bit. Uh, I'd say uh, I'll even that up to about the first ten minutes. It's very, oh no, like it's mm-hmm. very flat and it's jamming everyone into the one flat scene and just fast talking dialogue. But then it slowly starts to develop and build. And I think when it's his first scene uh, conducting the symphony at the practice, it's this gorgeous sweeping shot, crane shot, that covers and shows the entire orchestra sweeping and moving around. And yeah, that's just... Then from there you're like, okay, now this movie's really cooking. For me. Mm. Mm. Like, it's breaking up that monotony of studio comedy kind of on a soundstage of just bang, 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 shot, repeat shot.
1: Yeah, and I can see that's probably why it's in the collection because it's exploring something like this in a very, very early on in cinema, where yeah. we didn't have a lot of that.
0: And I, I, I think like the when the conceit actually hits for the film. So obviously, there's all the stuff of him going and meeting like the the detective and. Having the slight revelation stuff with it because he refuses to read the information, like which is also kind of goes to show that he's actually an honorable man. Um, it 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 once that conceit is kind of landed, of like oh it's going to be about a guy figuring out if his wife cheated on him, and but then the fantasy and the surreal elements of it is where it's like oh shit this separates it from anything else mm. of this era.
1: And I love even um, the lighting in the first scenario where um, yeah. Alfred pulls the um, the record recording machine. I love that machine. It's so massive. It was so fabulous, but he's, he's up and he's getting it out of the top cupboard and I think he's either knocked the lamp over or it doesn't make sense, but the lamp or whatever's happening is lighting him from um, below and so he yeah. looks quite sinister.
0: Yeah. So cool. All, all three of the scenarios in his fantasy are shot and lit differently. It's really amazing. Mm. And such like a little subtle nuance thing of that that whole that first scenario by the way is also the fucking best part of the movie. Yes. It's the most insane elaborate madman fantasy. And Rex Harrison plays it so well. I think I was saying like while we we're watching it, like I this makes me wish I saw Rex Harrison play like Hannibal Lecter or something.
1: Yes, he. Um, he's so
0: just like, why don't you? Yes, the purple dress with the brims on the hips.
1: <laughs> yes, he's definitely got that. uh, Not so. It's luckily it's a fantasy because he had <laughs> not so subtle. Um, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes. Why don't you go dancing with? Tony. You'd like that, <laughs> wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly and so wonderful, um, and the plan is so ridiculous that I love it so much. Mm. The the idea, because and you're us as the audience have no idea what the fuck he's doing. Like, and and this is the other thing that's great. It's I imagine at the time in the 1940s, like the insane pushing shot into his eye and just being like, what is happening now? Whereas mm. that's something we're kind of used to in mm. film at this point. Like, the idea of, like, oh, we're going inside the, our protagonist's mind and we're going to kind of go through all of that now. Like, yeah, we, we're that's old hat for us. But back then it'd be, what the fuck? Um, and it's so over the top and so silly. And it never lets you, the audience, know where it's going, why it's going in this direction. But it just slowly shows his plan of... I'm going to record myself screaming <laughs> and saying that Tony is murdering me and then simply turn it to 75 speed from 33. And it and, sounds like a and woman. And it sounds identical to my wife.
1: <laughs> yes. I thought it's for like some that's reason- they made
0: the chipmunk records.
1: <laughs> yeah. I thought for some reason it was going to be like, that was the evidence he was going to plot and then because, you know, you don't really know what he's doing and then later yeah. he puts it in his jacket pocket and I'm like genius!
0: Not just that but like the greatness of like what's that on the floor and having all the police look and then he like snaps it and hides it in his pocket. Yeah. It's so well done. It and is well done. Tony getting <laughs> like, you know, sentenced to death and him just like ah! <laughs> in the courtroom yeah, laughing like laugh- fucking De Niro in Cape Fear. <laughs>
1: And then, like him laughing over his orchestra, the snapback, um wonderful, the second one uh scenario, imagining, yeah, I guess it's like you know it's showing
0: it, it's the even keeled response it's like yeah. all right well i've i've the pendulum swung to so far to insanity, madman plot. What would happen if it swings back the other way of like reasonable? Fine, you're leaving me for Tony, but I still love you, so here's a hundred thousand dollars, live well, blah blah blah.
1: Yeah, and, but I guess and... after the first one it kind of is a bit of a letdown. It would have been good yeah. if all the three were pretty like clever in their way, or
0: Yeah, extremely heightened, and I think as well it's so subju- it's such a subdued response to the situation that the film itself shows it in a very subdued way, where it's just very it's like two, three shots for the entire scene. It's just very simple and flat and just like, yes, calm, collected. Here we go. Um, do you think... I
1: do, yeah, you go, you go.
0: I was just going to say, I do love as well how the style of the music that's being played as well. Um, we should... I don't know if we've mentioned that these, these fantasies are all set against the backdrop of three pieces of classical music that he's conducting. And the obviously the first piece is very over-the-top, heightened and bombastic... And this one is a very slow and somber one. It's so nicely constructed.
1: So do you think that uh, the music influenced his choice of imagining? Or do you think the interaction he had immediately before each one was the influence? Do you know what I mean?
0: I think it's a bit of both.
1: Yeah, because she comes backstage and says something and then that ticks him off. And so the next one's the angry one or... Um, yeah. What not. And yeah, so I was like, is it the music or is it that she's come back sa- stage? Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter, but I was just curious.
0: Yeah. I, I think it, it kind of all folds in on itself of like this, it's reactionary. It's also, you know, what's going on in his mind is informed by the tone of the music that's being played as well, I'm assuming. Yeah. And um,
1: I love how he ends up being this genius. And I think the reaction of the crowd is like, Oh my God, this guy's amazing. And I think this is what makes the film great is because at the beginning, he says, when I'm with you, I'm not inspired to get up and go do my music. I just want to stay here and laze around with you. All the great composers must've been married to old hags or something like that. He says something along those lines. And then, um, this, uh, situation happens where he's suspicious of his wife and therefore all his emotions coming out pours into his music and that's why yeah. he is so great and amazing and people are crying and standing up and cheering. And
0: He's leaving it all out there on the floor. He's He's, yeah. he's not... None of it's bottled up. None of it is. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's, I think that's what makes this film so good that if we hadn't had that little offhanded comment at the beginning um, about how, how much he's in love with her and he's not inspired to get up and do anything then it, that wouldn't have been such a hard impact, I think, later yeah. on.
0: Well, that's kind of goes with the genius of Preston Sturges, where it's, it's it's little subtle, simple lines he's establishing earlier on help establish the connection and the motivation for the character as the film goes through. It's He really was a genius of comedy writing.
1: And I think writing is probably... I mean, obviously, the directing, the cinematography, there's great... of that's really good. The dialogue's amazing. But those sort of little things that he's put in in the beginning and then built up and all that were amazing. And I can see that because he was the writer and the director, wasn't he? Yes,
0: and producer, I believe.
1: And producer. So you can see that when something is, uh, you know, someone's passion project and they've written it and directed it, you can see that. And especially if it's come from a good writer. And, yeah, I think it's great. The last one is just
0: bizarre. Yeah, the mm. Russian rule led it, it's, it, it's where it's going into like suicidal mania. Like he, He's just
1: and lost it. We don't see any blood when he kills Daphne in the first one. None. No. We see him washing off the blade, but it's already washed. There's no blood yeah. on his shirt or anything, but then we do get the slightest uh, bit of blood in the last scenario with the The, the gun, the, suicide, yeah. Like
0: the sh- headshot, yeah.
1: Which I was surprised um, at after the first one.
0: Yeah, especially because it's sort of this is right in the middle of the haze code stuff where it's just like absolutely not. What does um, that mean? Haze code. The haze code was sort of the censorship board before ratings and things. Oh, okay. Um, and it was like you would you would not like the big one that I know is like you were never allowed to show the murder weapon and the murder victim in the same frame. So it would be like someone firing a gun and then you would cut to reverse shot of someone being like, "Oh, you can't have them in the frame together." Oh. Like yeah. And, and blood obviously was a huge issue and things back then. So it's interesting that this, yeah, got, got to kind of have that doubly.
1: Yeah. Cause he could have just as easily like fallen and had the other side of his face with no blood, but yeah, it was weird. Yeah. You
0: just, or you have the bang and the cut to black or something like, yeah. Cause you know, what's coming. <laughs> like, you, yeah. you know What's coming. Um, but yeah, it, it is one where like I do know that this film was kind of not well received when it initially came out because of that kind of dark nature and that kind of fucked up cynicalness of it made people be like, no, I find this very uncomfortable and I do not like this.
1: <laughs> well, I can tell you right now some things I didn't like about it. The slapstick.
0: Which leads us perfectly into the third act. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes, yeah. it was so odd. There were some, like, little things. The zipping sound of the man opening his wallet uh, to oh, hand the car. the heightened
0: sound effects. Like, when he's... My favourite one was when he goes in and says, like, I don't care for breasts of turkey, <laughs> the sandwich. Yeah, and boing, and he, boing, boing. Boing, boing, when he's
1: touching the sandwich? Oh. And, and the, fi- the fire scene, where he, they're firing, bl- blasting each other with hoses. Yeah. Um... Again, do you think it's because of the darkness of this film that they're trying to overcompensate with the humour to make it... It's yeah. safe, it's safe.
0: Yeah, it's trying to ba- It's trying to kind of... Yeah, give, ugh, I want to say, like, have your cake and eat it too. It, it's trying to deal with those darker, kind of, more emotional themes while also still being... Like, it's like, why can't you be, be both? Like, let's, yeah. let's be wacky, <laughs> let's be silly.
1: Yeah. but also the third yeah. act though that killed me oh my god that killed me
0: it was What was terrible what, bro- what broke it for you?
1: okay so I love that it's him reenacting all three fantasies and we get glimpses yeah. of each one
0: yes. um
1: the first one was just way too long.
0: I yeah, did laugh
1: yeah. when he sh- when he chucked the um the po- the uh, roulette uh, board through the window. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's-
1: um, I laughed a little bit when his little feet were going <laughs> uh, through the yeah. chair. Um, and that's it. But goddamn, how long did that scene of him just messing up the apartment go for? Seriously.
0: Yeah, it was about 10, 15 minutes.
1: Oh my God. And
0: it's, it's, I'm totally with you. Like I, I, it's so hard to judge a comedy from the 40s against modern-day comedy standards. Oh, no, because you're like, oh, no. it's weird the audience are not used to it. But it's also, for fuck's sake, get to the money. Get yes. to the money.
1: Yes, get to the it, money.
0: It just took so long. And it's not... like It's enjoyable. And I love that the scene... It's like, oh, this is where the scene is going. The film is going now. It is... He's so incensed and like heightened by his fantasies of after the concert that he's gonna one by one attempt to enact them. Yes. Uh, or bring them to fruition. And it is a com- it becomes the full blown comedy of errors of nothing works out the way that it does in his fantasy. Like, you know, it's it's great. But yeah, like I said, that it just that tighten that fucking section up like by ten minutes, like trim like five minutes out of it. Yeah, I think like we don't need to have him falling through three straw chairs.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, I think Rex Harrison is funny when he's talking, when he's you know getting angry and insulting people and all that sort of thing. He's not a physical comedy actor, like no. Why are we making him do this?
0: Yeah, and which I got the sense of, I don't think it was him for a lot of it, actually, because it was so seldom shot in a wide shot. Like, you know, Mm. all kind of Three Stooges or Marx Brothers or Chaplin, Buster Keaton, it's it's on a wide. You're like, if they're doing physical comedy, you want to see their full body doing the full physical comedy. Whereas this was predominantly inserts, like Mm. close-ups of feet fumbling and falling through three separate chairs um, you know, the hands grabbing at stuff. Like, you, you, we don't get that wide... Like, the Mr. Bean comedy shots. Like, you know, where it's full body, you can see it's him doing the action all in a wide.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. But,
0: but that being said, if this played out all in, you know, long shots or wides, I and it went for the exact same length, I would probably be pissed as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, I just don't think it works. I'm I'm imagining back then... People would have been in laughing riots, maybe. Um, but, yeah, it definitely doesn't it, hold up.
0: It, it's one where you're like, oh, I like the... Like, you've established the idea of this is what we're doing. But then it just keeps going. That going. It, it brings the pace of the film to a grinding halt.
1: Yeah. I I think at least. I lost it when he was trying to record his voice and the record kept dropping off. And he just kept making the same stupid mistake (sighs) like five times. I'm like, we get it!
0: Yeah. Have that happen like twice. Yeah. And then he successfully records, but he's fucked up the speeds. Like, that's what I mean. Like, it's the, the rhythm thing of like, you do the joke three times, but on the third one you subvert... What's been established? Like you have him actually record, but oh, he fucked up and recorded on the wrong speed, so now he sounds like a gargoyle Drunk. when he actually plays it back.
1: <laughs> he sounded like the chick from The Exorcist.
0: Yeah, just like yeah, she's gone full. He's gone full Pazuzu.
1: <laughs> That's a good tackle. <laughs>
0: Unfaithfully you, yours. He's gone full Pazuzu. <laughs> you never, you never go full Pazuzu. <laughs> Um, I love it, but yeah, it, it's it, and then like you know slowly as that kind of unravels and his insanity breaks and things and then you know you, you show him briefly trying to attempt the other ones and then like yeah it it all wraps it all up in a nice little package and yes. like yeah it's fine it's it, it is just I think an issue of pacing if this film was say an hour twenty five instead of an hour 45 just mm. just trimming it up in those little moments i think would would have made it a whole lot more enjoyable and wouldn't have kind of lost its like you know its pace for me yeah
1: and i also did not love the ending and um not not the big reveal but more um and i know it's of its time so we can't hold it but when he said Oh, I'm not going to explain to you. You won't understand. And she said, yes. I don't know what it's... Something like, I don't know how hard it is to be a man looking after everyone. And I was like, ugh.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's like, I understand, but I'll never understand how tough it is to be a man. And yeah. It's like, oh, sh- shit.
1: But, <laughs> the amount of times <laughs> I would have said, what the fuck is wrong with you to him? If, yeah. like, it was, you know, nowadays...
0: I would be you like, your you're, acting of like a, you're acting like a psychopath. I'm going to go sleep at my friend's place. Like, <laughs> talk <laughs> yeah. to me like a human being. Why yeah. have you pulled a gun out? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well,
0: that's kind of what was nice, though. Like, she cared. She. And like, why I liked her performance is because you saw and you believed that she actually cared about him. And it's like, this dude's gone off the deep end. I want to try and help him and I want to see what's wrong. Mm. And I think she really successfully kind of conveys that to us and makes you believe, like, why she would still, she wouldn't be fucking running for the door.
1: I love how, because it's very out of character for him, I suppose. If this was something that happened all the time, you're like, oh, here he goes. But, you know, he's quite doting to her and loves her and... This is really out of character for him. I love the scene where she's worried about him and she puts the robe on him and tucks him all in and they kind of look at each other with a knowing look and a little half smile. And mm. um, I thought that was very sweet.
0: Yeah. And and is it... So it was just sort of that whole relationship thing and like not... And like the whole very end, like, we're going out dancing in champagne. You didn't fuck my assistant.
1: Yeah. No, it's just, yeah, that uh, you're a stupid woman. What would you know?
0: Yeah, that that shit doesn't age well at all.
1: No, that's okay, though. It's in yeah. the 40s.
0: Yeah. yeah. But, like, on the whole, like, uh, you know, uh, how would you rate this one? Like, did, did enjoyable, it enjoyable? Like- yeah,
1: no, look, and I think there is just as... I think it's quite a balanced film in terms of there is just as much really, really good stuff as there is, like, boring shit. So I would, you know, if it was out of five, I'd give it a f- four. Because oh the st- wow! The stuff that it had was amazing, but you wouldn't get a fight because there's a lot of boring shit.
0: Wow, that, that's yeah, that's a super solid rating then, yeah. Which, um, yeah. I, I'd sort of give it the three and a half star kind yeah. of range, okay. where it's like, it is just that, like, you know, when, when you're right, when it hits, it hits hard, but it is just a matter of some uneven pacing. Like I, I like the tonal shifts. I loved mm. how it went from like su- went from slapstick to like super dark and stuff and back and forth, but it was just the the, the pacing of it just kind of made made that tonal shift feel a little bit more unbalanced. Mm. I think if it was a quicker, easier transition and change up, it would have been, yeah, a lot smoother. Yeah.
1: yeah. Do you have any uh, trivia for me, Chris?
0: I do. I do indeed So I already mentioned that uh, Rex Harrison was blind in that eye Uh, What else Did we have Uh, Even though it was hailed as a classic Today the film uh, was something Of a box office disappointment when it was released The flashback fantasies were thought to be Too experimental For the time Ah Hmm Sorry to challenge Um, you audience I know, right? (laughs) This and... This is where we'll start to get into some interesting stuff. So, Sturges originally wrote the script for it back in 1932. Um, uh, The idea came to him when a melancholy song came on the radio and it influenced him uh, while uh, writing on a comic scene. Uh, He shopped the script around to Fox, Universal, and Paramount, who all rejected it. Hmm. No one wanted to make it. Uh... In 1938, he envisioned... Uh, he sort of uh, wanted to get Roland Coleman in to play uh, Alfred. Uh, and then kind of figuring out some different stuff. At one point, uh, it was going to be James Mason. Oh, yeah. Um, who you know from uh, Lolita. The original Kubrick Lolita, probably. Oh, uh, yeah. That James Mason. No. That man. Um, no, and Gene Tierney from last, week, uh, last episode, Heaven Can Wait, playing uh, Daphne. Uh. Hmm. Um, But obviously none of those went through Um, Yeah, here we go This is what I found interesting Uh, Had had a working title of Unfinished Symphony Or The Symphony Story Uh, It was filmed in February of 1948 Wrapped in April And then um, in June They had a sneak preview of the film And it ran two hours and seven minutes long
1: What the fuck? That's just indulgent
0: Yeah, Uh, but then the film was delayed for several months um, because of the backlash around... Okay, so... I'm going to try and work this out as delicately as I can. So, Carol Landis, who was dating Rex Harrison at the time, was actually set to play Daphne. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they had some personal problems between them that caused her to be replaced by Linda Darnell.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: then in july after the film had been finished and they were doing their sneak previews and stuff in july uh carol landis committed suicide
1: so is that rex harrison's wife of the time or girlfriend
0: girlfriend um, yeah it was rumored that landis and harrison who had been having an affair oh like it they they'd been having an affair, and it was rumored that she committed suicide when Harrison refused to divorce his wife.
1: Yeah. Jeez, Molly like making was, this ha- film. Yeah, and it was well. uh,
0: Harris, and it was Harrison who actually found her dead body and stuff. And yeah, oh, fucking and nut, nuts. So yeah, and it, yes, like you said, especially dealing with this kind of film as well. Like Jesus.
1: Yeah, that'll mess you so- up.
0: Yeah, so they they held the film for a sort of November-December release for a couple of months just to let that kind of settle.
1: Imagine watching that. Like, I'm guessing that would have been popular, like, um, gossip or something, maybe. Imagine knowing oh, that imagine and then so. this film coming out, like, just after all that shit.
0: Yeah, which is also, I have to believe, something that kind of impacted the, the box office and things for it and people's reaction being like, a uh, bit of a sour taste in my mouth with this one
1: Yeah, definitely
0: Yeah um, The the weirdest bit of trivia though that I found Is that uh, Quentin Tarantino uh, has this as his 8th favourite film of all time What the fuck? Yeah, this is uh, one of Quentin Tarantino's top 10 films of all time Wow uh, I have a quote from him. He says uh, he could listen to the dialogue, especially the way that Rex ha- Harrison says it, all day long. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's
1: on the money there.
0: Yeah, and, and people have um, kind of then hypothesized like his love for it has been kind of influenced in his work with the three-story structure, like, you know, having... That stuff, oh. as well as, like, the, the kind of dark fantasy and the super black comedy while also delving into the more serious, like, the, the tonal balance stuff.
1: It's funny. I mean, I guess he would be the kind of person who... It's almost like he wouldn't see a film as a um, an entertaining enterprise. It's more the way he analyses it and breaks it down, you know. Yeah. Because he's an artist himself and a writer and a lover of dialogue, so... He would get something very different from a film like this than the rest of us.
0: Yeah, totally. And, like, I'm not surprised that he loves Preston Sturges, just based on that amazing, dense wordplay in the dialogue. Mm. But this, I thought this was an interesting choice. Like, a lot of people go for, like I said, the Coen brothers with uh, Sullivan's Travels and stuff. But, yeah, this being in his top ten is super interesting.
1: It is a very, it's it's dialogue dense in
0: parts, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, But yeah, that's about it for trivia for me. Um, (sighs) But I think it's it's probably time that we hear what someone else thinks this movie might be about.
1: Ooh, yes.
0: Well, that music means, once again, it is time for... Claire's... Movie Thing... (laughs) Movie. <laughs> Claire's movie thing.
2: Uh, what's that movie about? Yeah. About? Yeah. What's this movie?
0: Oh. Every time. Every single time. I like we, I we, like Claire's movie thing.
2: I like the idea of getting a little reminder written up. Laminate it.
0: <laughs> Just so you, you're across it every single time. Yeah. Alright, so this week's film is from uh, it's called Unfaithfully Yours. Boom, boom, boom! By Preston Sturges from it's a US film from 1948, and there's a there's a little look at the cover for you. Okay. What, what's that movie
2: about? I see music notes, so that's going to help me. So I'm thinking that this one has actually been remade with J Lo. Ooh, okay. Now I don't remember any J-Lo movies.
0: Fuck. Ma- made in Manhattan? Oh,
2: no. What's, um, uh, what's the one where she's like a spy?
0: I think of something I else. know one where she's an FBI agent. Yeah. <laughs> That's out of sight. Yes, <laughs> that one. No, actually, let's grab <laughs> yeah, that. Hopefully yours <laughs> is the original out of sight. Okay, I like that. I like that. Uh, no. No. That, Rick that Harrison escapes from prison
2: <laughs> yeah I couldn't remember that I couldn't remember the plot to Sight, so that doesn't help me at all okay so going back to the original 1943 48 48 So it's just post-war okay so post-war means that there is a couple. And they have been having a love affair through letters oh. while the guy's at war.
0: Okay. So
2: they're you know you because you write that at the end of a letter, mm-hmm. unfaithfully yours, and then Don't they meet faithfully yours. <laughs> no, but it's, unfaith- oh, so it's unfaithful. Oh, unfaithful because they're because they're having an affair. Yeah, yeah. Ah. And then when the war ends, I'm <laughs> always doing war based stories. And then when the war, mm. it's common in films. Um. Then when the war ends, they, like, pretend that they weren't having an affair and they, like, try and go on with their regular non-letter affair lives. And then they meet up in a jazz club. That's the music. Uh-huh. And they see each other from across the room and they're like, oh, shit, that's, like real love oh, oh what are we gonna do and then there's like all this like how do they break up with their other partners and stuff they don't try and kill them it's not that kind of movie because it's a comedy <laughs> um but yeah it's just like the kerfuffles of how do they get out of this situation so that they can be together the fact is though that they can't because it's not a chick flick it's just a comedy wow so I they like just it. have to go on with their lives with their original partners. So it's almost
0: kinda of like the end of La La Land.
2: I don't remember the end <laughs> of La Land. Where they meet La in a La jazz Land.
0: club and they look across <laughs> and meet each other's eyes. And yeah. Anyway Is that <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers for La La Land, a film that came out fucking six years ago or whatever.
2: I don't remember yeah. <laughs> that. I just remember the dancing in the street. Mm. And on the cars. That it was good.
0: Yeah, so that's that's what Claire thought the movie was about. So <laughs> do you have a tagline, Lee? You didn't have one I when do. we started recording.
1: No, but I've come up with it now. Uh, unfaithfully yours, a maestro finds his inspiration.
0: Oh, that's nice. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I Mine is uh, Till Death Do We Part. Maybe? <laughs>
1: ah. <laughs> I love you, Chris. <laughs> You're so good at them. <laughs>
0: Um, but yeah, as as we said at the top of the episode, listeners, let us know what you think. What would your tagline for this one would be? We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, either comment on the Instagram, or if you follow us, if you're one of our lovely patrons, post there. Or just you know, shoot us an email. All that stuff. I'm wrapping up before I've a- actually finished the episode. It seems. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll go into the actual Criterion edition itself. So the film is still in print from Criterion as a one disc DVD. And it comes with the audio commentary by Sturge's scholars, James Harvey, Diane Jacobs, and Brian Henderson. New video introduction by writer-director Terry Jones of Monty Python. Ooh. Uh, new video interview with Sturge's widow, Sandy Sturges. Gallery featuring rare production correspondence and stills, as well as a usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Uh, this time with an essay by novelist Jonathan Lethem. I read one of his books not that long ago. Hmm. Hmm. But yeah, I guess, the final thoughts, anything?
1: Um, I just said I really enjoyed it, and I'm enjoying the old classic Hollywood. Are we having any more of classic Hollywood?
0: Well, I was just about to say, you are shit out of luck. <laughs> 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 we, are, we are back, we're back into some more typical Criterion Affair. With our next episode, we're doing The Flowers of St. Francis, a 1950 Roberto Rossellini film. Ooh. Yes. sounds good, though. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. I know nothing about it. I'm intrigued. It's supposed to be really good, so we'll find out. Awesome. Um, but yeah as I was mentioning just before we love hearing from everybody so if you want to send us an email uh, you can hit us up at thecriterionquest at gmail.com uh, and I'll link in the episode description to everything the, the my Twitter Lee's Instagram for the, the podcast um, info on the patreon uh, my usual sp- spiel uh, for the price of a beer at the pub you can help support the show and keep the lights on and uh, help us you know pay the server costs and create fun and interesting stuff for you guys um we've just done a bunch of little episodes and things uh at the moment we've done a hot rod commentary followed by a couple of little follow up mini episodes there
1: yeah it's exciting and we're we're,
0: as Lee teaser we're about to dive into spooktober yay so we we haven't quite figured out what we're gonna do there but we're we're gonna do some horror movie stuff probably (laughs) so yeah um but yeah as I said it's all in the episode description it's all linked there so uh have a look-see otherwise lee thank you for joining no worries watching watching a nice 1940s comedy on a rainy melbourne day
1: yeah it's it's literally all the seasons today
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah we'll be back in a fortnight's time with the flowers of saint francis but for this week's episode i'm chris i'm lee we'll see you next time